Welcome to SADCAST, the podcast for working creatives. I'm your host, Pamela Runis. Well, this is going to be my last episode of the SADCAST. As you may have been able to tell from the infrequency of episodes, I'm just not able to fit it in any longer. Or, I don't know, maybe I'm just not willing to. (laughs) And, you know, like, that's the thing about side hustles. You really need to get something out of it. And I don't mean money. (laughs) But, you know, when I started Sad Mag about, I don't know, 10 years ago, it was exciting. You know, I got to create a real-life magazine with amazing people, make it our own, opened me up to a community of people where I felt like I belonged. And, you know, we sort of found each other at each issue launch party and there were so many parties in the beginning because that's how we funded the magazine at first which was not sustainable (laughs) but it got us off the ground but that was my side passion you know I had a full-time job working at a small ad agency at the time you know not doing much to fulfill me creatively and sad filled that hole and I've talked about it before that I'm driven to create and I'm only happy when I'm making something that I'm excited about, you know, regardless if it pays or not, which frankly can be a bad thing because you end up doing things for free, for cheap that you shouldn't, (laughs) but you know, it's a learning process, I guess. When I left the print magazine, it was bittersweet. You know, I, I knew I couldn't slash wouldn't devote the time to it any longer and it was time to move on. There's a silver lining, you know, I still had the sad cast, still on the sad board, but eventually it's just become clear that it's no longer getting me excited. It's feeling like a chore. Not that creating things isn't harrowing at times because it can be hell, basically, but when you're driven and you're motivated, you just push harder. And when you're not, you just stop putting out episodes (laughs) and avoid it altogether. And I'm a tired parent now, and I need my extracurricular creative pursuits to be more fluid or spontaneous because having uninterrupted time to myself is precious. And sometimes I just want to draw or watch a movie. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I get to flex my creativity at work all day at Rethink and actually work on fun projects now. So, you know, I'm trying to be okay with that being enough. But I have good news. I have good news. The sad cast will live on. I'm passing the baton to the more than capable Becca Clarkson, who you might remember from the last episode and the wonderful interview she did with Kevin Romaine. She's back today for our transitional episode, interviewing Jesse Nelson. Jesse is a non-binary trans social activist and the founder of the consulting firm Kith and Common, and you might recognize their name from the news. In 2021, Jesse was involved in a human rights case regarding discrimination at the workplace. But I'll let you hear the full story from Becca in a moment. So stay tuned after the interview for my last song choice and my final goodbye. For now, here's Becca Clarkson with Jesse Nelson. My name is Jesse Nelson, and my pronouns are they, them. That's the first thing Jesse said to me when I met them. It was Friday, June 28, 2019. Some friends and I were in Gibson's, BC for the long weekend, enjoying beers at Persephone Brewery. One of the folks I was with asked if she could invite a friend to join us who had just moved to the Sunshine Coast and had just lost a job. This moment right here is the first time that I have been interviewed 
by somebody about this. Two and a half years after we first met, Jesse and I are having beers again, but this time it's on my couch in Vancouver, the city Jesse now calls home. Why are we having this conversation? You forced me into it. No, um, oh, big question. We're having this conversation because there was a pretty big and groundbreaking decision that was just made in the BC Human Rights Tribunal in a case that was looking at my improper firing because of the fact that I had asked to be referred to with my correct pronouns and that was not honored or met. Born and raised in rural Ontario, Jesse was still relatively new to BC when they moved from Vancouver to the Sunshine Coast. So their friend in Gibson's got them a job at an Italian restaurant called Bueno Osteria. Buono was the very first place that I had ever felt in in my own life safe enough, proud enough, secure enough in who I am to be able to put on my resume that my pronouns are they, them. To have my friend who got me the job there go and have a conversation with the management and say, hey, just so you know, like I'm going to do a little bit of, of legwork for Jesse here because this is something they have to explain to people a lot. Jesse is non-binary. They use they, them pronouns. They're going to ask that you use they, them pronouns for them. When and, and where you make the mistake, they're going to ask that you correct yourself. They are not looking for perfection. And that sounds really simple, um, but it's really scary because the risk you run is that you're not going to get the job at all. The bar manager at Bueno believed Jesse was policing his language. He refused to refer to Jesse by their pronouns or even their name. Instead, he called them honey, sweetie, and pinky, which Jesse corrected over and over again. And I had even prior to being terminated, um, had sat down with the manager who had terminated me and said to him, looking across the table, I'm concerned that I am going to be judged or critiqued based on my gender identity and the request to have my correct pronouns honored. And I just need to hear from the horse's mouth that how my performance is. And he was like, your performance is great. You're an exceptional server. You add value to the team. Jesse runs their own diversity and inclusion business as a consultant. So this is their wheelhouse. But they were told management would deal with the bar manager. One shift, after being repeatedly misgendered, Jesse decided to confront him. The bar manager exploded and burst into the staff room to announce an ultimatum to the other managers. He would quit if Jesse stayed. A few days later, while Jesse was being fired over the phone, they told Bueno's manager, you'll be hearing from my lawyer. I knew in the moment as I was being fired, I knew that I was being fired because I had asked to be referred to with my correct pronouns and that I had put my foot down. So I knew in that conversation that it was likely going to go to legal action. Coincidentally, through their work in DNI, Jesse had recently met a non-binary trans lawyer. Adrian Smith, who they hired to file a complaint with BC Human Rights Tribunal. There had to be a precedent-setting case that looked specifically at gender pronouns. Mine just happened to be first. I had the energy to, to take on this case. So I did it because someone was going to have to, and why not me? Spoiler alert, Jesse won. They were awarded $30,000 in damages more than two years after being fired. You can read all the details in the 42-page decision available online, or... You can read an article written by any number of these reputable outlets, and really what you will read is a condensed, summarized version of that 42-page document. And I think my disappointment comes from the fact that every single one of them has proven to me that they were interested in being the first to write the story about the article rather than exploring the impact that it had on the 
the individual that it has and will have on the community. And no one's really reached out to like, again, be an ally or an advocate for this conversation, for the conversation of progressing the the understanding and spectrum of gender and gender inclusion and, and gender identity. Actually, there was one person. I mean, not to give this particular platform too much credit because there are so many problems with it, but the wildest experience I have had for sure is that the Dr. Phil show reached out to me. Today on Dr. Phil. Pronouns, why is this coming up now instead of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago? (laughs) (laughs) And wanted me to come on and, and talk about gender pronouns and, my, and specifically the, the human rights case. They did not accept that invitation. Because the conversation around gender just generally is not well understood and is often seen as, as somewhere where we, we have the right to debate, which by the way, we don't. Pronouns, why is this coming up now? Like, I am a fully self-expressed, self-fulfilled human. I don't care whether you believe that my gender is non-binary or not, but I'm telling you it is. Um, And that takes enough of my effort. I don't need to also actively choose to walk into spaces where people are going to be ready to fight me on that. What ends up happening is that you are sensationalizing the trauma of, in this case, a trans person who had to fight tooth and nail to have their existence and experience in the world um, validated and it had to be done by a fucking court of law in order to get it approved or to be understood by the party with a $30,000 slap on the wrist like that's what it took why did all three of those men in management what was creating a barrier for them to not be able to see what was really happening which was that I was being held accountable for how I was responding to being discriminated against and so the decision they made was, let's just get rid of the problem. And it's not, certainly doesn't give any of the people at Buono who participated in this harm an excuse, but I do think it's, it's an indication that we need to explore the deeper root cause of this, because the byproduct of that is the example of what I went through at Buono. But that is exactly to what I just called it, a byproduct. It's not the root cause. How many times do you think you wanted to quit? Um, I mean, to say daily might be an exaggeration, but not probably too far off the mark. Like, it was constant. I wanted this to be over from the moment that that phone call happened, because I knew it was going to take a long time. On the other side of the country, a similar case of discrimination was playing out in the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. This one dates back to 2018 and involved three former employees of the now-closed Gallagher's Bar and Lounge in Hamilton. Each of the three applicants identify as genderqueer or non-binary trans. They quit their jobs after the owner subjected them to misgendering and transphobic slurs. On March 30th, 2021, mere months before the decision in Jesse's case, Ontario's Human Rights Tribunal ordered Gallagher's owner to pay each of the former employees $10,000 as compensation for injury to dignity, feelings, and respect. This isn't an isolated incident. This stuff happens all the time, every day, everywhere. Where there is a trans person, there is violence and there is harm, and there is discrimination. And the subtlety and the nuance and the the micro aspects of the violence and aggression and, and discrimination that people like myself feel is so often hard to 
grab in a in an easily presentable package to a, a court to say, look at what happens to us all the time. Here's one example. And now I need support from the government to back up what they've told me is true, which is that one of my human rights as, as a living, breathing creature on this planet is that my pronouns and my name need to be respected. And what it will do is create a lot of a lot more safety and a lot more opportunity for people after me. The Canadian Human Rights Act has only protected people from discrimination on the grounds of gender identity or expression since 2017. What that motivates me to to do is continue this work because that, that tells me that there's still a lot more to do. We need to inspire, I think, a deeper desire and a deeper search for the real issues here. Because the issue isn't that I mean, yes, the issue is that I was fired because my workplace chose not to meet me at my human rights. But the greater systemic issue is that we have and continue to uphold a system of colonialism that tells us that there are only two genders. We don't teach things like emotional intelligence in school. We don't learn about communication and about Um, how to take responsibility for your actions. We don't teach kids and people about impact versus intention. We don't set people up to be able to hold space for these issues. We tell people that there's a cookie cutter way to be. And so when somebody like me arrives, and I absolutely under no circumstances fit that cookie cutter mold, what that ends up forcing me to do as the individual is all of the work for the rest of the people to feel comfortable or to be willing and able to be brave enough to create the disruption that is required for change to happen. It kind of feels like, you know, when you're a kid and there's like the big red button and you're not supposed to push the big red button and then all you want to do is push the big red button, but you're told over and over again that that is not a button to press. I, that's, I felt like I was going against everything that was expected of me. I was going against everything that I was told about the world and about myself. And I just had never been in a position to stand up and use my voice and say, nope, time's up on this. Like, I am not playing this game anymore. I am deserving of more than this. And like, I know it's not going to make me popular. I know it's not going to make me any more friends. Um, But I do know that it's the right thing to do. So when a judge ruled in favor of Jesse, my first instinct was to celebrate. I shared the decision on social media, hosted a dinner and drinks, and shouted congratulations as soon as I saw them. Jesse, on the other hand, was not as excited as everyone. Even with their community's support and with a non-binary transgender lawyer by their side, Jesse's experience is unique. My identity on the chopping block, and that's a really lonely thing. And on top of that, not an experience that I would wish on my worst enemy. Once that decision was was put out there, that 42-page decision, I had to relive it as I read it. I had to relive it every time I saw news articles being written about it and people resharing and reposting. And what I felt was a was certainly a sense of relief, but it it's it's not excitement in the way that I think a lot of people were expecting it to be exciting. Typically, the response from most people is excitement and enthusiasm and like, yeah, you got it. Like, it's done. Congratulations. And don't get me wrong. It is so nice for other people to display that. But I think I feel a great deal or I certainly did when it first came out to um, meet people at that. And it's it's been just a 
a whole shitstorm of, of feelings, but it didn't feel like a win. It wasn't like we beat the bad guys. It was like, okay, I survived this. This could have been incredibly detrimental to the trans community. What if they had found not in my favor? So there's a lot of that release too of like, oh, okay, it's a lot of weight off my shoulders. And to carry that around for two years, I, I actually, I think I was just, like I said, surviving. I think I was just coping. Would you do it again if you had the choice? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Um, the answer to that is yes. I mean, I would never, ever put myself back in that position, but I will, I will fight for trans rights and trans existence. I was doing it for every other trans, non-binary, queer person who faces these types of discrimination daily and violence that is much more significant than what I faced. But I was also doing it for every iteration of my previous self who needed the version of me that exists now to stand up for them. Jesse is continuing to work as a diversity and inclusion consultant through their business, Kith and Common. You can also find this low-key BC legend at East Fans Bells and Whistles, where they just started serving again. My name is Jesse Nelson. Jesse thinks it'll take a long time to heal from this, but they're starting to feel better. What's been really nice is that since this decision has come out and I've been able to move through this processing of it and this grieving of it, um, I've also found so much strength in myself again. And I feel like I'm, I'm really reacquainting myself with my own power. There were definitely times where I was like, oh, what am I good for? I have no energy. I don't seem to have any passion for anything anymore. And I, I'm getting a lot of those parts of me back again. Like I'm feeling more energetic. I'm feeling more excited to be around people and be out, um, to be in community again. So I would say that's the best part is like that I, I did a hard thing. I was validated for doing that hard thing. And in the process, so many other people are and will be validated their own identities because of the hard thing I did. And I was right. I was right for what I did. And that feels so good. I sleep very well at night. (laughs) So I'll be leaving sad entirely, bored and all, after this episode. It's been an incredible learning experience and I owe so much to the sad family. I don't think I ever made this podcast into what it deserved to be. And I look forward to the new shape it will take with Becca at the helm. And I've chosen my final song um, from ACR's new EP, a.k.a. Aaron Charles Reed, who you may know from the Sunday Service Improv Group or just doing stand-up around town. I've been a big fan of his like absurdist humor <laughs> for a long time. In fact, it was mostly recorded at Little Mountain Gallery, which is a venue made popular by its many comedy and improv shows. So despite being seeped in the comedy scene, this is actually an earnest EP. It's not a funny one. Um, You know, and that's exactly what it's supposed to be. It's kind of like Tim Heidecker having like a legitimate music career alongside being ridiculous for pay. It seems like Aaron is following suit. And it's actually a really good EP. It's even profound at times. 
I'm really looking forward to hearing more from Aaron, though he does say on his band camp that he's going to release an album once every 10 years. So I'll be waiting. I've selected the track Swim Coach, which felt like the right vibe to leave you on as my final episode. So here's Swim Coach by ACR. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you around.
The Sadcast is brought to you by Sad Magazine, featuring stories, art, and design by local emerging artists and writers. Our intro and interstitial music is by Shamir.